Coming to you via the internet and your friends at PipesMagazine.com, it's the Pipes Magazine radio show. It's fall, or as Kevin Godby calls it, pumpkin spice martini season. Now I invite you to sit back, relax, the smoking lamp is lit. Here's your host, Brian Levine. Welcome, welcome, welcome to the Pipes Magazine radio show. Yes, the sometimes irreverent, sometimes educational, but always entertaining weekly pipe smoking broadcast. And I am your host, Brian Levine, coming to you from a uh, smoke-filled recording studio built here at my home, just outside of Charlotte, North Carolina. Uh, Just a reminder, you must be of legal smoking age wherever you are in order to enjoy this fine show. And uh, for those of us in the Northern Hemisphere, it is fall. The leaves are falling and uh, changing colors. And uh, good time, really good time to get outside and smoke your pipe. And you know, I know we're trying to we're trying to stay away from people, so smoke your pipe in public. That'll keep them away. I promise. It'll be good. Um, anyway, on this week's show in Pipe Parts, we're going to be talking about nicotine, uh, partially inspired by. An article written on uh, in the uh, SmokingPipes.com Daily Reader by Chuck Stanion. So we have that. And then my guest is uh, Jeremy McKenna, president of the Sutliff Tobacco Company. You asked for an FDA. Uh, you asked for an FDA update. Well, here you go. You're going to get to hear exactly what is going on at Sutliff and what they've had to do based off of the FDA. And uh, yeah, so it's not all. Not all cheerful, but not all doom and gloom. So, yeah, we get to talk about nicotine and FDA. So, sounds like a good time. Um, anyway, I uh, hope you all are doing okay out there. Hope the, uh, you know, hope, uh, hope you're getting a chance to relax and enjoy with your pipes. While you're doing that and while you're listening to this show, I'd really appreciate it if you would take the time to go to iTunes or Apple Podcasts and leave us a rating and a review. Also, we are available on Amazon Music or Amazon Podcasts or something like that. I don't know. And you can do your uh, your Alexa thing can now really work for uh, playing the show. So you got more ways to listen and keep sharing the show out there. All right, let's get the show rolling. So everybody sit back, relax, fire up a bowl. Thank you all for tuning in. And here we go. This is Phil Morgan, General Manager of Missouri Meerschaum Corncob Pipes in Washington, Missouri. Our mission since 1869 has been to produce great smoking pipes that anyone can afford. We guarantee our pipes won't be your most expensive, but they just might be the ones you smoke the most. At Missouri Meerschaum Company, we don't just sell our corncob pipes. We grow them, make them, and smoke them. Missouri Meerschaum, Washington, Missouri, since 1869. back on the pipes magazine radio show the uh, whir of the air cleaners in the background as they're uh, doing their job getting the smoke out of here and uh, getting the nicotine out of the air so uh here's the uh here's the inspiration for this um once a week smoking pipes does a thing called the daily reader it's released on on sundays and sometimes it's written by chuck stanion sometimes it's written by the other guys but if you're not reading that once a week you're missing out on some really good writing really interesting articles i've actually learned stuff uh and this one was uh in, from about two weeks ago three weeks ago now and it's entitled nicotine and pipe tobacco blending by chuck stanion now for a little bit of background um nicotine according to wikipedia is a stimulant and a potent parasympathomimetic alkaloid. Parasympathomimetic alkaloid that is naturally produced in the nightshade family of plants, most notably in tobacco. Uh, it is, uh, so, so let's give you a little definition of the nightshade family of plants. Uh, those nightshade family of plants include the ones that we do eat include tomatoes, potatoes, eggplant, bell and chili peppers. And there's a whole handful of others that, you know, so, so it's a, it's a naturally occurring thing, which bothers me when people call it a chemical, 
because it's naturally occurring, not man-made. Anyway, uh, and, you know, the first time tobacco was really discovered it depends on which side of the uh, which side of the which side of the globe you uh, you think came first but really you know it was the native americans of north america that introduced tobacco so this article talks about uh, nicotine in and how it works in pipe blending and there's a couple of concepts that i want to try to touch on Full flavor versus strength or impact. Uh, you can have a very strong or impactful blend that does not have a lot of flavor. You can have a blend that has a lot of flavor but doesn't have a lot of strength or impact. And as the, uh, as the articles, as Chuck wrote in talking to Jeremy Reeves from Cornell and Deal, uh, he says, uh, nicotine has a lot to do with strength of a tobacco, which is a vague term used to indicate not only its nicotine strength, but the perceived strength of the smoke, which depends on the blend's components. It needs to be considered just from the standpoint of striking balance and flavor, says Jeremy Reeves. Uh, he also goes on to say there is a correlation that smokers uh, expect. You can have a very pronounced flavor in a tobacco, but that tobacco may not also carry much strength, says Jeremy. But the flavor is going to seem more intense if there is some nicotine strength. So, how are uh, so nicotine helps? Uh, you know, nicotine helps give boost or uh, or uh, you know give a little extra oomph to a blend that may not have that much. Uh, and some of you may have may be more sensitive to nicotine than others, so you look for lower nicotine blends. Uh, the best part that I found in here, and, and this is uh, this is what Jeremy says: a nicotine percentage can range. Not all Orientals will have the the precise nicotine percentage, but it's not uncommon to see below one percent in Orientals. So anywhere from 0.8 percent all the way up to 1.5 percent is fairly common. So when I go through this upcoming list of different types of tobaccos, keep in mind that these are averages and that year to year a crop can vary in nicotine strength. Also, it depends on where on the plant they harvest. And we've talked about it before about a single harvest where they take all the leaves off the plant all at once. Or if they do it in three or four primings where they take the bottom off, take the middle off, and then let the top grow and the top becomes stronger because there is more nicotine on the top leaves of the plant than there is on the bottom. Uh, the main categories of pipe tobacco in order of nicotine content from low to high, and these are averages, and this is what, uh, what Chuck wrote after talking to Jeremy. Uh, the lowest is Orientals and Latakia. So first of all, let me just say Latakia is a process that happens to an Oriental, and by smoking it, it's probably going to be lower than the original Oriental is. The next is Cavendish, which again is a process, and you can have a Virginia-based Cavendish, and you can have a Burley-based Cavendish. So that's going to vary depending on what's going on, on what leaf is in there. But again, the Cavendish process lowers the nicotine content in the actual leaf. Uh, next is Bright Virginia, then White Burley. And that's because those lighter colors have you know, just less content to the leaf. There's less molecular structure. Uh, then red Virginia, then dark burly, and then my favorite, <laughs> perique, and then the dark-fired Kentucky, which is dark-fired burly. And the, uh, the perique and the dark-fired Kentucky are the opposite of Cavendish and Latakia, where the process helps accentuate the nicotine. So by firing, by fire curing the tobacco, it locks in the nicotine and doesn't allow it to evaporate off. And the Perique process, by steeping it for a year in a barrel in its own juices, doesn't let the nicotine go anywhere. But that might explain the reason why I like Perique. So, 
Uh, yes, I like nicotine. So if you're looking for nicotine, you want to be on the Red Virginia, Dark Burley, Perique, Dark Fired. If you're looking to stay away from nicotine, you want to be in the Orientals, Cavendish, and the Bright Virginias on that side. Hope that was a bit of an eye-opener. Hope that made sense to you. And in just a moment, my discussion with Jeremy McKenna. This is Internet Radio. Have a look in your tobacco cellar. What do you see? Think of what you smoke, what you age, what you're drawn to in a blend that keeps you wanting more. That's your taste. And whether you know it or not, you've been leading that expedition since you first picked up a pipe. Just by smoking what you like and liking what you smoke. But the funny thing about taste, it changes. And you need a wide selection to accommodate it. We at Smoking Pipes know this, and you know it too. So whether you're searching for a tried and true favorite or a singular boutique mixture, we're here to help you navigate the voyage of your evolving tastes. But you're still at the helm. Smoking Pipes, in faithful service of the hobby. We're back on the Pipes Magazine radio show, and joining us is uh, the grand poobah of the Sutliff Tobacco Company of Richmond, Virginia, somebody that I know very well. I don't want to say intimately, but we got close a couple of times. Uh, but uh, 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 And soon-to-be-retired U.S. Army major. Jeremy, you're in the Army, right? Yeah, that is correct. Army Reserves. Yep. Okay, President of Sutliff Tobacco Company, Jeremy McKenna. Welcome to the Pipes Magazine radio show officially once again. <laughs> Thanks, Brian. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, I know it's uh, not right about the internet part. We'll just let that part go. But we do know each other very well. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, so, <laughs> so anyway, you started with Sutliff. What is it? Is it now going on four years? Three years? No, it's been five coming up on six. Wow. My, how time flies when you're having fun, huh? <laughs> yeah, no, definitely, because, uh, I mean, we were there, and you're the one that really introduced me to, to pipes. I mean, as, as my predecessor to Sutliff really didn't uh, smoke a pipe. It was, you, were, you were the resident guru at the time. Yeah, well, <laughs> so, so did you find somebody to really teach you? <laughs> Pear George. Okay, good. <laughs> I reached out to Pear Pear Jensen. Sorry, I call yeah. him Pear George, but Pear Jensen. So. Yeah, well, that's to keep him. That's to keep him separated from the other pair there, which you don't want to take pipe smoking lessons from. Um, <laughs> no. no, that's probably a good idea. <laughs> considering he runs the entire company. Um, <laughs> anyway, so let let's talk first of all. Let. <laughs> Let's get in. Let's hit the hard stuff first. Um, give me an update on what's going on with the FDA and what you think may happen in the future and uh, how it's affected you guys. Yeah, so that's got a tough one on lots of reasons. Um, September 9th is when the, the main date finally came. Um, of course, we, we sued them, we fought them, we, we kicked, we cried, we screamed, and all of the above. And, and finally, September 9th came, um, which what that meant for us was they either had to file a, a pre-market tobacco application, which, I mean, will cost a few million dollars to do, mm -hmm. or you had to uh, file a, a substantially equivalent application to keep a product on the market that was not on the market prior to 2007. So up until then, we've kind of been working in this gray area. And so all of a sudden, come this this uh, September 9th day, we really had to say, okay, are we going to spend the, the time and money to file these substantial equivalents, or are we going to just let them go off the market? Um, for the majority of the product, we did file substantial equivalents. We were kind of hoping that back when the FDA first started this product or project with Roll Your Own and cigarettes and things like that back in 2009, that there was substantial equivalents filed that literally stayed on. They, they, the FDA didn't rule on them for well over 10 years. <laughs> so, 
So we kind of had this hope that, look, we're pipe tobacco and traditional pipe tobacco, and we're such a small niche in the world of tobacco. And as we all are well aware, there's we do not have an issue with underage people smoking pipes. Um, so maybe the FDA would just kind of put our applications in a corner and forget about them. So we'd file the SCs, we'd check our books, we'd do everything we needed to, our testing, et cetera. Um, we still don't know that that's not going to be the case, but what we do know is that they've put all the, I mean, tons of resources on this, and they're moving on applications. Um, as far as I see quantity change applications, we're getting those back with answers, uh, the majority of them being approved, which is a good thing. Um, but for the full SEs, they've accepted them for scientific review a lot quicker than we thought they were going to. Wow. Um, so they're moving. So it's really over the next year. Um, they promised the court they would actually review them all within a year, which we thought would never happen. <laughs> but again, the pace they're moving at today, it almost seems like that might actually happen. Wow. So, and, and let, let's go back. So the items that you decided to not file the substantial equivalencies, I'm assuming they're not the biggest selling items you have. Yeah, I mean, for the most part, you, you've probably never heard of them. I'd have to go dig up a list. <laughs> I mean, normally they ended up being a legacy blend that a small brick and mortar asked us to make for them over the last you know, 140 years or, or something <laughs> like that, right? I mean, like, so it was, we sold, you know, 10 pounds of this whatever product, like specialty cherry or specialty, you know, peaches and cream or whatever it happened to be to some store. Um, and we just basically had to call and tell them and say, Look, guys, we're so sorry, get in your last order now. Like, we just can't keep making it anymore. Um, so realistically, you, you, Pretty much, if it had sales, we we, we filed the SB. Do you can you just give us an idea of how many how many items were you know did you file the substantial equivalency for was it a, was it a couple hundred or a thousand or a million? <laughs> Feels like a million. <laughs> uh, so between grandfathered, I filed about eight hundred grandfathered request, which means that it was on the market prior to 07, and we just want to file it to, you know, get it there to say, yes, you agree that it's grandfathered. As far as SEs, we kind of, we have quantity change SEs and then regular SEs. And regular SEs, which is saying, hey, the blend's different but the same, we filed 300. Wow. I think it was 303, but, um, but yeah. Yeah, uh, so I mean that's one of the things that you know I think we'll get into this in a, in a you know a little bit, but Sutliff makes a lot of variations of of similar blends, and then a lot of completely different blends. So it's a huge catalog. Yeah, I mean it, the catalog is so big that I mean even Jonathan that's been making it for twenty years doesn't even know it, right? I mean, we'll randomly get an order. I mean, I get FD, like documents from the FDA. I'll say almost on a daily basis, like, "Hey, we've accepted your grandfather," or "Hey, we've accepted this," and some of them I get the names and I go, "What is this?" <laughs> like literally, I've never heard of this product. I know at some point I slapped it on a letter and did testing and different things. But, I mean, I, Jonathan would be like, I don't know. i got to go look that formula up. What is that? You know? I mean, <laughs> there, there are. There, there's a crazy amount of them. I mean, 25 to 35% of our blend are really sold in different as far as private label. Um, so it becomes hard. I, I say hard to know who made it. Um, you know, uh, so it kind of adds a little, we'll say, mystique there. A lot of them are found in blending bars across the country. Yeah. So there's no way to tell. You just know you're buying it by the ounce. From a consumer side, I mean, you, you've had to figure out, have, have you had to hire somebody specifically to manage all the FDA filings and regu and just pay attention to that? No, uh, we haven't had to hire someone specific. I mean, I, the amount of money we've paid our law firm, I feel like I've hired a few people. Mm -hmm. um, but, but myself and a lady named Lisa who's worked there, you, you know Lisa very well, who's worked there for 25, 30 years. 
Um, we really, and Leah also stepped in, we, we really kind of just spearheaded it and worked nights and weekends in conjunction with our lawyers to get it all done to keep the cost down. Yeah. I mean, quite honestly, if we would have hired people and or just outsourced it all to our lawyers, which is what large corporations do, uh, we'd be broke and probably out of business. Um, so we didn't have that luxury. Yeah, or the price of a tin of Molta Dolce would be $18, yeah, $18 wholesale. Correct. Yeah, I mean, that's that's the other part of it. I mean, we understand that, you know, everyone's on a budget, whether, you know, no matter what your taste are, you're on a budget and, and trying to control those costs is obviously um, a big concern of mine, you know, for, as the president of the company trying to figure out, you know, how to maintain market uh, share and everything and being, you know, conscious of price. It, it definitely uh, comes into play for sure. Yeah, well, and I've been watching the prices because I remember what the old wholesales were, and you and Sutliff has been very kind in not pushing up the prices and absorbing all these new costs and filings. And I'm pretty sure the other tobacco companies have been doing the same, although I don't know their price list. So, yeah, I mean, I would assume they have. I, I really don't uh, don't pay too much attention to them. We kind of. We set our prices, and unfortunately, price increases are just a. I want to say they're a thing in most markets, right? I mean, every every year, the cost of labor, cost of goods, cost of everything goes up. Everybody likes a raise, et cetera. Um, so, if you can't make it more efficient, then you have to pass it along. Um, we've done a lot to actually um, make things more efficient in our factory, uh, which you know seems weird. We've been doing it for so long, but we were kind of tech technologically challenged i would say um i think you can <laughs> agree with that brian i'll just laugh um, here go ahead <laughs> i mean our biggest revelation is we just i think just in the last few weeks or months we got in that we actually have a a labeler for our flat round tins now and we we manufactured our own automated vacuum sealer on the end of it so now it just flows through like a, a real factory, like a real advanced factory in the 20, 20th century. No, no. Yeah. <laughs> I guess we're knocking on the 21st century as far as our technology. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's take a break right here. When we come back, we'll talk more FDA with Jeremy. We'll talk a little bit of Sutliff stuff and, uh, you know, we'll just figure it out. So we'll be back in just a minute. Being at the forefront of craft tobacco production for over 20 years, we've been involved in some rather interesting projects at Cornell & Deal. From the Cellar Series to the Small Batch Project, we're extremely proud of how far we've come. So moving forward, we wanted to take it back to basics, and that's what the Burley Flake Series is all about. Burley is an underrated varietal, but there is a ton of nuance there using various condimental tobaccos to accentuate different aspects of the air-cured leaf. Each blend in this series is intended to showcase different individual subtleties inherent to Burley. It's a simple concept, one that I think really speaks to the essence of what we do at C&D, as a crew of folks who just love tobacco. It's also really good. Cornell & Deal's Burley Flakes series, wherever fine tobaccos are sold. We are back on the Pipes Magazine radio show visiting with uh, Jeremy McKenna, president of the Sutliff Tobacco Company of Richmond, Virginia. Sutliff, a McBaron company, so you uh, so, so you get to you, you get to purchase uh, all that stuff that uh, Perry Ensign makes and you know, and sell all that. Um, FDA wise, what do you see? Do you see anything in the future that could be bad? Anything, you know, anything that you want to doom and gloom us with? Yeah. I mean, as we mentioned before, this SE applications, if they don't accept them, that our, our premise behind it is well, kind of twofold. A, you know, the Smoking Control Act is was to keep underage you know, individuals from smoking tobacco as a whole. Every study that's ever been done, let alone common sense, says that um, underage pipe tobacco, traditional pipe tobacco, does not have an issue with underage. So the hope is is they'll just kind of leave us alone. Um, but 
in, in regards to that, we're saying, hey, pipe tobacco is pipe tobacco, whether it's uh, Virginia-based, Burley-based, et cetera. I mean, obviously, connoisseurs like yourself, you know, there's a difference in the taste and, and things along those lines. But in general, we're saying, look, pipe tobacco is pipe tobacco. If they don't buy off on that theory, then as they deny these over the next, we'll say, year to two years, you could see blends that were not on the market prior to 07 go away. Um, without getting the specifics of what those are, like I said, we filed 303 or four, um, that could go away. Um, so that's the doom and gloom is, you know, were they on the market? Sometimes it gets a little tricky because, you know, Sutliff has been in business for, you know, over 170 years. So things that you might've thought is a new product and and I'm not going to give away any trade secrets, (laughs) weren't new products. Okay. They were, we dusted something off and we called it something else, um, and, and, you know, that nobody was buying or, or very few people were buying, et cetera. So, like I said, not everything. You're like, oh, man, this didn't come out until 2012. There's no way that's staying on the market. Well, it, it could, you know, theoretically, based on the fact that we have ones that go back, you know, hundreds of, under, over 100 years. Um, but over the next year or so, that's where the doom and gloom comes in. How does the FDA regulate these SE applications that every every business has submitted, not just solar? So you guys make mixture 79. You could go back and pull out mixture 78, mixture 77, mixture 76. Yeah, mixture uh, 79 brandy, mixture 79 cherry. Yeah, 79. yeah. And then also I want to, so you know. I, I just want to emphasize with some of these substantial equivalencies, it may just be a, for us, for us pipe weenies, which I are one, um, you know, it may be just a slight, uh, it, it may be a slight change in the type of Virginia, um, or it may be just a slight percentage change that one blend has versus the other of Virginia to a Burley or Virginia to a Perique. So, so we're, we're talking. Yeah, no, that's a hundred percent correct. Yeah. yeah. It could be the same case, you know, base casing. And, and like you said, you go from uh, just easy math, you know, 50% Burley, 50% Virginia to 60, 40. Yeah. Um, with everything else the same, but it constitutes a new product. Uh, as far as the FDA was concerned, if you changed anything, it, it, it's a new product um, as far as the tobacco blend is concerned, whether it's in the tobacco, whether it's in the ingredients you use on it. Um, so some of that even comes into, depending on what you use as far as, um, you know, to, to keep the tobacco fresh and to make sure it doesn't mold or, or a, a base casing ingredient. Um, you know, all those things play into to what considers it a, a different product. So now we wait and see what they, you know, we wait and see what they say. And then, of course, if you had a packaging change, then they also wanted to know, all right, instead of selling that in an eight ounce bag, now you're selling it in a one and a half ounce pouch. What's the difference? Yeah, knock on wood, we submitted a test, well, we'll say a, a test substantially equivalent quantity change on a product um, a, a year ago just to see if it would make it through, what the issues would be before we submitted the rest of them. And that one got through with relatively ease. There, there's been some court cases and things where where the FDA said, hey, look, I mean, a packaging change, we get it. It, it might not be a new product, but we still need a record of the change. So you're like, oh, that sounds really straightforward. We'll kind of just send it in on a memo, which letterhead. Mm-hmm. But then they're like, oh, by the way, you need to submit an environmental assessment with every one of those quantity changes <laughs> to make sure that, you know, when you go from a, you know, a, a one pound plastic bag to a one and a half ounce, you know, foil or paper plastic overwrap pouch, that it doesn't affect any of the endangered species or waterways in your area or landfill in all those other things. Um, so it's never as easy as it seems. <laughs> we got to keep those St. James River clams very safe. That, that's exactly right. Yeah. So, um, you know, so even the easy things get a little complicated. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, how is this all, and this has also affected the product that you, that's made by McBaron in Denmark and imported here? Correct. They fall under the same exact guidelines as the importer. We're the one doing all the, the filing on behalf of our parent company, McBaron. Um, so it's the same exact thing. So when we talk products that could leave the market, 
again, look through the McBaron portfolio, look at things that were added, you know, was it the same, was it not? Um, I mean, again, McBaron's been around for a long time, so sometimes older products are revived. Um, but we kind of, you know, you have the same thing as far as products that you could see leave the market in the next year or two if the FDA says they're not the same. Have you had a uh, visit from like five burly guys in black suits wearing sunglasses and showing FDA badges and wanting to stand there and stare at you? Not yet. Um, knock on wood. We're, <laughs> we're expecting it. I mean, they will. They say they will come visit all the sites. Um, primarily, I, from what we understand, they've really been focused on uh, vapor companies, which, again, go back to the protecting the kids and the youth that are underage. Yeah. You, you kind of get why they're, why they're visiting there. Um, I've even heard reports that the government has gone to facilities in, in other countries um, that manufacture some of those products, which I never thought they, that would be a thing, but so I've heard. Um, I don't have first-hand knowledge of it, just, uh, I'll say, industry folklore. <laughs> so I imagine they're going to show up at some point. Is it possible some FDA agents wanted to go on trips to foreign countries and you know go visit cool places and maybe make a business trip out of it? No, no, our government, there is no fraud, waste, and abuse in our government at all. That, and, and that's right, and you're and you're a soon to be you are soon to be retired, but you're a current reserve major in the U.S. Army, so you would know that there's no waste or anything. Correct. I mean, for 23 years, I can tell you, I've seen none of that in 23 years. So it's definitely <laughs> not a thing. Going back to folklore again. Yeah, 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 yeah. I'm not talking about that. Um, all right, yeah. so, so let's talk about the other thing that was announced was that now you guys are distributing Seattle Pipe Club blends directly to you know directly to retailers. So you want to you want to kind of give the give the background on that and why that's kind of significant? Yeah. Well, and I forget, I don't know the exact dates. You probably know them better than me, but as Seattle Pipe Club became more mainstream and as everyone knows the blends today, Solid has been manufacturing it. It predates me starting there in, in 2015. Um, so it's, it's before that, Sutliff has been manufacturing it. I don't know when they started, right? Yeah. So we did not have the distribution. We manufactured it. We you know, sent it off to another company who then did the distribution of it, who happens to be an online retailer also. As you know, that relationship, that contract was winding down, it kind of made logical sense for the distribution to come to us as the manufacturer. We already sell direct to all the big online retailers, all the distributors, all the brick and mortars. Um, so it really made sense for it to also to come home as far as the distribution of it. And so it was very significant for us and I think for the brand too, because at least from our understanding, um, we didn't get a customer list of course, we're putting it out there in a lot more brick and mortar retailers. I mean, in the first month, we had our inside sales team really push, and I think we got it in, you know, 40, 40 45 brick-and-mortar retailers in the first 30 days, uh, where traditionally you were mainly finding it online only. Um, so it's giving that brick-and-mortar that everyone likes to go out and support the opportunity to, to participate in a brand that sells very well and is very well accepted. Um so, so for us, like I said, it just made sense. It came home. We got to reproduce it and distribute it now. Um, and, uh, you know, just getting it out there to all the brick and mortars is, is what we've been focused on the last, well, we've had it since August 19th, and it's been a continuous focus every day. And then we continue to ship to more and more brick and mortars every day. And I'll kind of giggle because one of the first things that I got involved with Jonathan on was forecasting the production of that product. And when you're when you're actively selling it to multiple outlets, it's a whole lot easier to forecast, per, you know, production requirements than it is when you got one guy that's calling you three times a year going, oh, we need a whole bunch now. <laughs> oh, yeah. No, I, you couldn't be more accurate there. I mean, it's... Uh... You know, oh, hey, we need 3,000 tins real quick. Oh, okay, we run them and get them off, and then we run another 2,000 thinking there's another order coming, you know, in a month, and then it's, like you said, three months later, oh, hey, we need some more. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. you know, so having them in stock, I mean, hopefully, no matter where you shop, whether you're shopping brick and mortar, whether you're shopping online retailers, 
uh, hopefully you'll start to see that um, the supply be there, you yep. know, on a continuous basis. We know one thing we knew is that with a lot of other online retailers um, that were not the distributor at the time, their inventory, they would have it. It was feast or famine, right? They would have it, and then they wouldn't have it for a month. And then they would have it, and they wouldn't have it for a month. Um, so all of them being good customers, they're, they order from us every week, and they order Seattle Pipe Club, all the different blends every week. So they're still trying to figure out their demand planning. You know, do I need 10 tins? Do I need a 1,000 tins for the week? Yeah. You know? um, so is, so you will see a blend or two go, you know, go out of stock here and there as we all figure out inventory levels and demand planning. Um but it's getting there, and the hope is that, that it's you know available pretty much wherever you want to buy your pipe tobacco. It's there for you. And 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 here's a little tip for everybody: if you want to verify where a yeah, let's say you're 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 concerned about your Seattle Pipe Club blend that you used to smoke that you smoked for years and you like, uh, if you look on the tin, there's a thing called a TP number. It's it's a tobacco producer's number. It has to be on every tin of tobacco that is manufactured in the United States. And if it's manufactured out of the country, it has to have an importer name on there. Uh, if you look on the if you look on the tin and it says TPVA, that's Tobacco Producer Virginia. Well, it's either Sutliff or it's Philip Morris. And I guarantee you that you're not buying any Philip Morris pipe tobacco. Um, but... Yeah, so again, now you can find out where your favorite your favorite tobacco has been manufactured just by looking at that TP number, and that'll tell you where it where it was made. Um, you guys are the I think you guys are one of two in Virginia, if I'm correct. Uh, who's the second one? <laughs> I I think Philip Morris actually under their Middleton product yeah but it, i don't know what tp number they're using whether they're using it out of pennsylvania where they make it or whether they're using one out of virginia yeah but either right. way yes i mean there's philip morris's in virginia to depend on how they task organize their monster <laughs> corporation i have no clue and if it says tpsc that's going to be cornell and deal in south carolina or tpnc would have been cornell and deal back in north carolina uh, and TPGA would have been Lane Limited, but they've moved everything now to uh, to Denmark. Um, so now that we've gotten through all that, uh, if a customer wants to find out if their favorite blend is in trouble, uh, can they reach out to you guys and find out the information? Yeah, they can. Um, if they reach out to, um, I mean, some of it we're going to be a little tight-lipped about, quite honestly. Um, but if they go on our website and, and submit an inquiry, anybody that submits via our website, um, the, you know, an email, you have a question, myself or Anne answers, um, you know, we're normally in a timely basis, very timely basis. Um, some of it we're going to be type lit about because we don't want to see a run on it. If for some reason we know that it's not going to be continued, like um, the consumers will be made aware. And uh, we'll, A, want to sell as much as we can. Uh, from a you know from our standpoint and B will want you to get as much as you want to buy up before it's gone. Um, but for the most part, you'll know. The, um, uh, and but sometimes we just won't tell you because we don't want to create a panic or you know people think that it's going away. Or you may not be exactly sure. Um, the uh, the website is sutliff s u t l i f f dash tobacco dot com. The other the other little piece of advice that I'll give everybody that's listening, if you want to try to figure out an origin date of when a blend came out, go on to tobaccoreviews.com and search for the oldest review because usually those first reviews are right after a tobacco came out. So you'll see the dates on there. Uh, Jeremy, before we finish this up, um, how has... Uh, uh, this is the only time I've ever really talked about it, but how has the uh, world health pandemic affected Sutliff? I mean, you haven't had any pipe shows or trade shows. Has there been a, a downside to that or an upside? The downside to us has been supply and raw materials, not in, not even in tobacco, but in like our fiberboard cans, for example. Um, in those fiberboard cans, they're really a, f a food product packaging. Mm -hmm. 
so there was a huge run on them and there still is so for a time we started running out um and we were pack ordered for three plus months on them um so things like that that's kind of the main one that comes to to mind as far as the issue as far as our overall sales go i mean i would say overall the good part is is that even in a pandemic people still love smoking their pipe tobacco right so that didn't go away now at first of course is you know, all the governors shut down all the states and, and brick and mortars. You know, you saw a lot more focus go to online, which I think you did in every industry. I don't think that's some huge trade secret there. Yeah. Um, and then, but we quickly saw it come back as our brick and mortars, you know, they became very resourceful curbside pickup. Uh, we saw that in lots of states. Um, and, and then the smoking lounges closed, but a lot of times they could still go in and purchase tobacco. So we saw our brick and mortars because it is their livelihood, right? Not, most of them are not large corporations or part thereof. They're just literally mom and pops that own one to three locations or whatever it happens to be. And so they said, well, either we shut down and go out of business, I lose everything, or I figure out what to sell tobacco during these times. And as resourceful as they are, they figured it out. And the consumers, uh, you know, huge shout out to them for supporting it. And between the consumer and the brick and mortar, they really figured it out. And our brick and mortar sales have remained, I'd say, pretty steady throughout it all, which has been a huge surprise and a good one at that for us. So that all that all sounds good. And then, of course, you didn't have the nuisance of having to go to Las Vegas for eight days in the middle of the summer. Yeah, I, I do enjoy trade shows, um, some more than others. Uh, Vegas, I, I enjoy Vegas for other reasons outside of the trade show also. Um, so, you know, I, I, but I do like traveling to those. So it has been a little, little hampered not being able to go to Chicago this year, not being able to go to Vegas. I mean, we, um, I didn't go to Colorado. Um, our good brand of our smoker friendly, they always have a big Rocky Mountain Cigar Fest that got canceled this year. Then we had to cancel our trade show, which was set for last weekend. Yeah. Two weekends ago, the the second or third, or and we, you know, we would have that plan. So that was that was a major disappointment. We we really thought we were going to get that, be able to have it in the pandemic, with, for everyone's sake, not just our trade show, that it would kind of subside and travel would be back to normal, you know, come October. And uh, obviously that didn't happen. So that was that one was probably the biggest kick in the, the you know, where was not being able to have our show this year. We had. Uh, you know, been building it and really gaining some momentum of what it was and everyone enjoying the comments. Really looking forward to this year and making it that much better. Um, but we'll just put all that energy and effort into next year and be that much bigger and better next year. So the uh, the Sutliff, uh, the Sutliff Open House and uh, Core Pipe Club show is going to come back. It's just coming back as soon as you can bring it back, right? That is, the, yeah, that is definitely the plan. Perfect. Jeremy, we will wrap this up with the fast five final questions. No right answer, no wrong answer, just whatever comes to your mind. Are you ready? <laughs> sure. What is your favorite pipe? I'm a Brigham fan, so the one I'm smoking, my favorite now is the Brigham Acadian uh, straight that I, I smoke out of on a fairly regular basis. Do you use the, uh, the, the rock maple insert all the time? I do. Um, I've tried it without, just to, you know, when I was switching out the distillator, and, and I, I prefer it, so. Well, very good. You even used the correct new name for it, because I forgot what it was called. <laughs> uh, what is your favorite tobacco? And no, you can't just say Sutliff. No, my favorite tobacco, it's it's pretty easy. It's a Scottish mixture from McBaron. Okay. Um, it's, honestly, I hadn't smoked it. I'd been there a few years and smoked it, and I was with the CEO of the company in, in Germany for the Dortmund show, and that's what he was smoking. And I said, let me try that, and it's been my favorite ever since. Um, I, I have been a fan of the uh, the uh, the rum and, and bourbon barrels, Seattle Pipe Clubs lately also. Um, those have uh, tickled my fancy a little, but I always go back to, to Scottish mixture for sure. And what is your favorite drink? Bourbon and and been in the world of bourbon. Uh, lately, my favorite is probably going to be in a, the Eagle Rare. My neighbor got me onto that 
and uh, I, I enjoy some a couple glasses of that every now and then. When it's time to relax, do you prefer a book, a movie, or music? Netflix. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's movies slash TV series. <laughs> and if you're streaming something, can you stop at just one and go to sleep, or do you have to finish the entire stream of whatever? Well, unfortunately, it's normally like 10 seasons, so I stay up too late. But, I, you know, I can't just stop at one. It's normally two or three, and then I fall asleep and have to go to bed. (laughs) And finally, do you have a favorite pipe smoking-related memory? Um, Probably with Pear George, trying to get him to teach me how to smoke a pipe is pretty interesting. I just remember coming to Sutliff, never smoked a pipe before, and actually it goes back before Pear George, and, and sitting there and being like, well, I work in a pipe tobacco company. I, I smoked cigars before. I guess I should try smoking a pipe. And I I decided that cherry tobacco should be delicious. It's cherry. It smells wonderful. It's got to be delicious. And I grabbed a pouch of tobacco gallery of cherry. <laughs> put it in my pipe somehow managed to get it lit after probably a hundred tries um and, and tasted nothing like cherry <laughs> i was very disappointed <laughs> and and then i managed to burn my tongue and it, on and on and on until i finally started you know well how do you pack a bowl and what is this tamping why does brian hold a lighter over his bowl when he's inhaling sometimes (laughs) and all these different things to just learn how to light the bowl let alone keep it but going back to the tobacco gallery of cherry is my first tobacco i ever tried only tried it once Uh, (laughs) not because it's a bad tobacco i'm just not an aromatic smoker um but thinking it would taste like cherry Jeremy McKenna, president of Sutliff Tobacco Company, thank you very much for coming on. Thanks for explaining some of the doom and gloom, and uh, you know, just keep just keep making all the tobacco, please. We'll try. Thanks for having me, Brian. Anything I can ever do to help, let me know. Uh, free tobacco. Uh, never mind. Uh, we'll be back in just a minute. A Savinelli pipe is a testament to a long legacy fortified by well-worn hands and destined to be enjoyed for generations. For over 150 years, Savinelli has been dedicated to sourcing the world's finest briar, committed to pushing the boundaries of pipe design, and devoted to the tradition of Italian pipe making. Savinelli is more than a mark. They're a way to help you make your mark. And like you, there can only be one Savinelli. This is Internet Radio. And we are back, and now I'm really missing the fact that we didn't get to go to Richmond for the uh, for the Sutliff Conclave of Richmond Pipe Smokers show again, because, boy, that was fun last year. I was really looking forward to it, but eh, it is what it is. All right, for music, also on a sad note, uh, last week, <laughs> literally right after I finished recording and uploaded the show, we found out that Eddie Van Halen had passed away from a uh, long battle with throat cancer. And uh, my favorite era of Van Halen is what a lot of people call the Van Hagar when Sammy Hagar came in. And yeah, I'm sorry, I, I don't, I, I'm not gonna, not gonna make any excuses. Uh, those are the, those are the ones I like the most. So uh, this week for music, Van Halen off of the 5150 album. Uh, this is Dreams. <laughs> Oh, 
Thank you, Eddie. Congratulations, Skippy. You've got mail. And mailbag comments and questions. Remember, email me, Brian, B-R-I-A-N, at PipesMagazine.com or post them on the Pipes Magazine radio show page or leave us a iTunes rating and review just like uh, C. Smoke Pipes did, who is uh, Eric Weaver, the potter. <laughs> and he wrote, uh, Outstanding Five Stars. This is an outstanding podcast. I've been listening for years and enjoy it every week. It is a treasure trove of pipe-related information. Always a great listen when I'm working on pipes in the shop. Keep it up. As always, happy smokes, and thank you for the program, Eric. You are very welcome. And uh, going back to uh, last week's show, I got an email from uh, Nate Rose. And Nate <laughs> Nate Rose, the pipe maker who does not make roses, uh, because Eric Weaver doesn't weave baskets he makes pots anyway uh, nate wrote hey brian it's your good old buddy in canada uh no no not parks the other six foot giant nate yeah <laughs> yeah the one that uh the, the one that lifts elephants for fun uh anyway he writes awesome awesome podcast uh regarding last week with the virtual pipe club uh, first of all, Phil from Scotland can talk all day long. The Scottish accent is by far, hands down, the greatest accent of them all. And second, I couldn't agree more on the who will be the most collectible pipe makers in 15 years. Now, I'm obviously biased, but I still couldn't agree more that the uh, that Jay Allen has done with his YouTube channel and what Michael has done even for me. Uh, you should do more of these podcasts. This was fun and entertaining way to step away from your traditional episodes. Nate Rose. Thanks, Nate. Uh, yeah, I'm thinking that that would be fun to do uh, uh, to do more of those kind of uh, open forum ones. And then uh, Trout Times writes, a good show with interesting questions and answers. Is there more? I always enjoy the background and history of the hobby. It helps tie the present to the past. Keep up the good job. Uh, yeah, there is more, but you got to go watch the Virtual Pipe Club's uh, YouTube video. And there's more, and then there's some discussions with Chris Morgan, too. So that was fun. Uh, Casey Ghost writes, this was a really good show. I can't believe the places these guys were calling from. Scotland, Japan, New Zealand, America. Uh, I did look these guys up on the internet to see what their meetings were like, and it looked like every meeting lasted about two hours. I'm afraid that's a little long for me. Yeah, well, guess what you can do? If it's a little long for you, uh, you can push stop and then come back to it later and listen to it at your own pace because it's a uh, YouTube video. And just like this is a podcast, you don't have to listen to it all at once. All right, again, comments, questions, ideas, thoughts, concerns, you know, you name it. Uh, email me, brian at pipesmagazine.com. And rant time is coming up next. There's nothing quite like working in my shop. Or smoking my genuine Missouri Meerschaum corncob pipe, an American legend since 1869. It's the coolest, smoothest pipe I've ever owned. Check them out at corncobpipe.com. Cowboy. Cowboy. Can we talk about what is best? Number one, Primero, the ultimate. Yeah, let's talk about that again as just a reminder, and you can go ahead and share this out with all your friends too. Uh, there is no best pipe tobacco. There is no best number one whatever. None of that. I'm sorry. When you are referring to a, toba to a tobacco that you think is the best, it's actually your favorite. That's how you need to refer to it. It's your favorite, because if you simply think that something is the best, well, the best must be liked by the most. And right now, the pipe tobacco that is liked by the most is Captain Black, because it sells the most around the world. So therefore, Captain Black must be the best pipe tobacco. If you look at the world of cars, the best car is not a Ferrari, Lamborghini, or a Porsche. It must be the one that is selling the most, so that would be a Toyota Camry, probably. Don't know exactly what I'm talking about. 
But anyway, when somebody asks you what is the best pipe tobacco, you need to refer to them. You need to you need to uh, straighten them out and tell them this is my favorite. This is the one I enjoy the most, and if you like this, you will like that. What is the best pipe for under $100? The one you enjoy the most. How do you find that out? Well, you got to buy them and figure it out. There is no best in when it comes to personal opinions. It's just what is your favorite. That way, you don't sound stupid. And you don't uh, make the other person feel awkward by not liking what you think is the best in the world. No, it's okay to not like somebody's favorite, but if they don't like the best, well, they might feel bad. All right, there you go. Uh, just keep sharing that out there. Uh, remember, new episodes of the Pipes Magazine radio show come out every Tuesday night at 8 p.m. Eastern time. They are available for download, streaming, or uh, online listening, or whatever else you might do with them uh, for eternity afterwards or until the Internet goes away. So uh, if you've missed a couple shows, go back, get caught up. If you want to listen to another, if, you've, uh, if it's been a while since you've listened to a show, go back, listen to it again. You never know what you might hear. There you go. Uh, thank you to Jeremy McKenna for joining me. Thank you all for tuning in. And until next time. the clouds when we're together just sing a song and think about sunny I thought Pumpkin Spice was the name of a fat stripper.